podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good boys and girls, welcome to Two Footed Podcast. Today is Tuesday, the 5th of October. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. It's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location, access things you geoblock from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Do remember to download the Etsy app and check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops. Lots of good merch there. Right, folks. Quiet day, it being a Tuesday. Uh, No games, obviously, this week. All the players gone on international duty, which I'm sure they're absolutely thrilled by. But I suppose the most interesting story of the day is Sir Alex Ferguson um, sort of criticising Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, saying you should always start your best players. This comes off the back of Cristiano and Paul Pogba, who you know most would argue, I think at least one of them is part of United's best eleven. Um, Ferguson was overheard talking to Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, who is the, obviously the UFC fighter, saying you should always start with your best players as United struggled to a 1-1 draw against Everton. Now, Ferguson's not going to publicly criticise Oli because Oli is his guy. Oli's a player who played under him for a number of years and obviously helped him win many honours, including the European Cup in 1999. But it it does spark that interesting side of things of, will we see any pundit come out and criticise Oli? Now, Frank Lampard managed to escape criticism while at Chelsea because he had so many friends in the media. And Oli is in the same position, where Oli has Gary Neville, Paul Scholes, Rio Ferdinand, all of whom played with him at Manchester United, all of whom know him very well. Roy Keane is another. Keane has made some, I don't know if you'd call them critical statements, but he hasn't been as warm and fuzzy over Oli as the rest of them. But when you see Ferguson say that to Khabib, thinking he's in private, you do have to wonder, what are the rest of them saying in private? Is there conversations happening among former players with members of staff where they're critical of Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer? Now, the latest news from Old Trafford is that they're very much behind the manager. They have no plans to look elsewhere. He's very secure in his job. They've just given Mike Phelan a three-year extension. Now, the Mike Phelan thing, I wouldn't put too much faith into because 
he was also Ferguson's assistant for a number of years. So he has ties to the club that aren't necessarily ties to Ollie. It's a weird situation for Ollie where his two lead assistants, Phelan and Michael Carrick, weren't actually his choices for his backroom staff, but he works with them nonetheless. But I, I do just wonder, if Ferguson is saying that to Khabib, who he doesn't know, what's he saying to other people? What conversations is he having with Ed Woodward? What conversations is he having with the board, with people like Mike Phelan, who he's very close to? What conversations are Rio Ferdinand and Gary Neville having? Will any of them, Ferguson aside, will any of those in the media have the bottle to be the first one to step out and say, this isn't working? Because we heard Neville in the summer talk about how United had gone down the path of world-class managers Jose Mourinho and Louis van Gaal and it hadn't worked so they were doing something different and they were building something here with Ollie. but if you look at it from the outside what are they building are they any worse are any better now than they were under Mourinho I don't think so I don't think they're closer to winning the title what's what's different about the approach well they're spending a lot of money which is what they did under Mourinho and under van Gaal the, the term world-class manager sits awkwardly with me on those two managers as well. No question, in the 90s, Louis van Gaal was a world-class manager. By the time United got him, he wasn't. Jose was a world-class manager. But by the time United got him, I think a lot of the, sh the shine had come off him. And I don't think he was the same type of manager. I think he lost something from a personality point of view or a mentality point of view. Whereas with Ollie, Ollie doesn't strike you as the type that's ever going to be a great manager. He's shown nothing as yet to suggest that he's going to be a great manager. You can look at his time at, at Mulder, you can look at his time at Cardiff. It, it, it's quite uninspiring stuff. You know, he went to Molda. He went to Molda first and did and did well. Look, he won 55% of his games. Um, he got the Cardiff job. He was there for seven months and he got sacked. He went back to Molda. They actually got better when he left, which is strange. And obviously now he's been at United for coming up on three years. They've gotten to one final and lost to a Villarreal team that they really should be beating. He's gotten to a few cup semi-finals and lost to teams that, in truth, they should largely be beating. He hasn't come close to winning the Premier League. He finished second last season in a weird year where Liverpool and Chelsea had disastrous campaigns. But he never got close to laying a glove on City. And it wasn't a, an all-time great City team. We've seen multiple bad results. A lot of bad performances that you know have been decent results, or at least wins. West Ham away most recently. Uh, Villarreal actually even more recently. Two really poor performances where they were very lucky to win the games. 
And it's the same lines that are trotted out by these people in the media. Oh, he just needs more time. It's the players. It's this. It's that. And at some point, that finger has to be pointed at him. Is he doing enough? Is he is he capable of doing enough? Is he good enough tactically? We watch United play, and I mean, defensively, the defensive structure is not great. There's quite a lot of desperation defending back there. There's quite a lot of just getting enough numbers back and try and block everything off. Going forward, you don't really see them progress the ball through midfield. You don't see any real defined patterns of play. There's no attacking structure. There's no there's no lighthouse in that attack. There's nobody that you could say, Bruno to an extent, but there's no one that you look and say, that's the focal point of the attack. And I suppose it's meant to be Cristiano, but that's not really his game. And Oli got a lot of credit early on for the development of Rashford and the development of Greenwood. But like, let's be fair, Mourinho should have got that credit for Rashford. He brought him into the team. He gave him his opportunities, gave him his minutes. By the time Ollie took over, Rashford was just due to take a step up. Greenwood, to his credit, came into the team and was unbelievable straight away. How much of that is Ollie? How much of that is natural talent? You know, Scott McTominay hasn't moved forward under Ollie. Juan Bissaka hasn't gotten better. Luke Shaw had his best season under Ollie. You, you give him credit for that. Whether that's a coaching thing or a man management thing, I don't know. But De Gea has largely been disastrous under him. Maguire hasn't gotten any better since joining from Leicester. Fred has gotten progressively worse. Sancho, there's memes about Sancho already. The guy's been at the club a couple of months. And Oli doesn't seem to know how to use him. And when you look at the pieces at United, you say, okay, well, they've got a £50 million right back. They've got Luke Shaw, Varane and, and Maguire. That's your defence. Okay, does it fit together? Well, defensively, it, it, it probably does well enough. You'd probably prefer if you could play Varane on the left and... Maguire on the right and have Varane's pace and Juan Bissaka's pace either side of him but Maguire's a left-sided centre-back so you're a little bit slow on the left side he shows quick but he's not lightning quick and he is the better attacking outlet of the two so more of the ball goes through him he's expected to be more advanced than Juan Bissaka so you do have a hole down the left side that can be exploited by pace You've got a midfield too. It's generally the, the McFred tandem that United fans either love or load. There's no in-between. The ones that love it, I, I don't know what you've watched. Um, it's a fine pairing if your aim is to finish sixth or below. But there's not a lot of ball progression in it. Fred is better off the ball. McTominay's good at bursting runs into the box off the ball. Fred's clever at picking up positions to always be available to recycle it. And when he keeps it simple, he's generally fine. 
when he doesn't have options, he gets really excited and starts launching cross-field balls that generally end up in the stand. McTominay's not very good on the ball. He's, like I say, he's better off the ball as that kind of driver from midfield getting into the box or picking up scraps on the edge of the box. So you don't have any real progression in midfield. You have nobody to link defence to attack. Bruno tries to do that. And the problem there is it then leads to Bruno playing too far away from the front three. You look at the front three and it's been Pogba on the left and it's not an ideal fit. He likes to come really narrow, which again opens up the left flank for Luke Shaw, forces him to play much higher, which creates a bigger hole behind him, which exposes Maguire even more. Greenwood's been playing quite a bit on the right. He's a very, very good young player, but he's not a creative player. He's a goal scorer. So there's no creativity there, and Cristiano's a penalty box predator at this point. Um, doesn't really want to do much running, doesn't do anything off the ball, doesn't help you win the ball back. He just wants the ball put in a plate for him. And he, he wants to stand around and wait for that to happen. So you don't really have any cohesion in the team. That right-hand side is Juan Bissaka and Greenwood, neither of whom are creative. And with Greenwood being mostly left-footed and wanting to come in field, you really need an attacking right-back, someone that's going to overlap and be able to at least attract the attention of a defender. When Juan Bissaka overlaps, defenders are stood 25 yards off him because they know he's not a threat. If he gets the ball, it'll take him three touches to get it under control. By that point, they've got him closed down. So they can gamble on leaving him open and just drifting in field with Greenwood. Left side's the same thing. Pogba's going to drift in field. Shaw's going to bomb forward and you're leaving a big hole. There's no cohesion down either side. There's issues at both ends on the opposite sides. an issue in the attacking side on the right and the defensive side on the left. You've got a big issue in the centre of midfield. And that issue gets compounded when Bruno drops real deep to pick the ball up off the centre-backs and then turns and has to play a 40 or 50-yard pass. And when the ball's travelling that far, you leave yourself open to having that pass cut out. And because United's forwards tend to just wait for Bruno to get the ball and then start running, you end up with three men gone too far. And if the defence steps up and wins the ball, you've got three men out of the picture and they're moving forward on you with overloads on both sides. So you look at Ollie's tactical game plan and it's flawed. You look at his squad building that Neville fawned about and it's flawed. Like I said, Juan Bissaka, overpaid, average player. Maguire, hugely overpaid. Donny van de Beek doesn't get in the team. Alex Tellez doesn't get in the team. Dan James bought and sold. Jaden Sancho, like, do United know what they bought? Did United just buy him because they were embarrassed about what had happened the, the previous season? Because they didn't need Jaden Sancho. They needed a central midfield. Not one, but two. Two central midfielders. They could have bought that with the money they spent on Sancho. They decided not to. But you can't tell me that the idea of Greenwood and Ahmad Diallo on the right, Bruno and Van de Beek as your tens, Pogba and Rashford as 
very different options on the left. You can't tell me that wasn't strong enough. Of course it was strong enough. That was more than good enough. Cristiano and Cavani and Martial as your ninth. You didn't need another attacker. You needed two central midfielders. You needed Chimeni from Monaco. 35 million probably would have got that deal done. The same figure would have got Eduardo Camavinga. Do you know what those two guys are really good at doing? Progressing the ball. Really good passers. Camavinga's great at carrying the ball. They're also both excellent defensively. And they shield that defense. That's what you needed. You needed a right back as well. But that is what it is. A right back should have been the plan last year. Um, you know, you've got Tellez and, and Shaw left back. Juan Bissaka is, in certain situations, he's what you want at right back. Defensively, under the cosh, when you want to sit deep and maybe counterattack, he's the kind of guy you want to play there because he won't get beaten 1v1. He's a good athlete. But you needed an attacking right back to come in and play with the likes of Greenwood and. Ahmad, both of whom are left-footed down that side. So United's squad building is is a bit mythical as well. They're not really building a squad. They're assembling very highly paid star names that don't really fit together. And the blame for that has to go to Oli. Because Oli's the one signing off on these signings. So his squad building's not working. His tactical approach almost three years in is non-existent. He hasn't put together a team. If they, if you could see what the plan was, if you could see they had a defined style of play and maybe they were just lacking in a couple of areas, you'd say, okay, fair enough. Let's get him a couple of better players and see what he can do. But he's got the players. He's been given the money. He's just bought badly. There's no real excuse there for him. And the line is always, oh, well, get him Declan Rice or get him... How many more players do you want to buy? You had the opportunity to buy the players you wanted. You bought the wrong ones. You bought players in areas you didn't need them. And now you have to live with it. And now you have to recognize that he is falling short in his tactical approach. That unless his team are playing someone who's going to dominate the ball and United can sit deep and try and hit teams on the counter, he doesn't really have a plan. When teams let United have the ball, they look absolutely clueless in what to do in possession. You'll see players pick the ball up, turn and look for a runner, and there's no runner. You'll often see McFred pick the ball up, and whichever one of them looks to the right, looks for that right back who should be moving forward. And Wambasaka stood holding hands with Varane at the back. And you end up with Greenwood pulling deep to try and pick the ball up. And then you've got a free defender who doesn't need to track him because a midfielder can pick him up. And it makes them really easy to play against, makes them really predictable. Teams have figured out as well. Take Bruno out of the game, United have no option. They don't know what to do. Pogba will have the odd good game, like he did at the start of the season against Leeds. He got four assists. Four assists great he was really good in that game since then has he he's had one good game one good game since then and that's Pogba in a nutshell 
and he's he's as big a problem as well. And you know, we've been over the ramifications of the current situation. What can they do? They can either sell him in January, they can give him a big extension that he doesn't deserve, or they can lose him for free and and all the money that they've invested in him, which is you know the eighty nine million fee, the thirty million in agent fees, the rather substantial signing fee he would have got. You're probably talking somewhere in the region of about 140 million there. He's on about 300 grand a week. Six year contract, five year contract, five year contract. Um, that's 75 million. That's 215 million United will have sank into Paul Pogba. Now they can afford to do it. It's just not a good way to run a football club. And now they're in a position where they either have to sell him, lose him on a free, or give him a big contract at a higher wage that he hasn't earned and that he won't deliver on. He hasn't delivered on a contract from age, what was he, 23 when he signed? 23 to 28. Do you really think he's going to get better as he ages? Do you think he's going to run more? And not all of it is Ollie's fault. The Pogba situation predates him. But if you're walking in the door as Manchester United manager in 2018, surely one of your first conversations has got to be, how much do you think we could get for him if we sold him tomorrow? You take over in December. You've got a transfer window coming up. Season's already getting away from you you would have been excused for, for selling him at that point. You could have moved him on. You might have got $60 million from him with a couple of years left on his deal. But you failed to deal with the situation. And all of this makes you wonder how it is that the likes of Gary Neville can say with a straight face that United are, are back, are well-run, our title contenders are one. I think he said they're one of the four best teams in the world. Bayern Munich would wipe the floor with them. PSG would wipe the floor with them. I think Juventus would beat them. Juventus aren't particularly good this year. Real Madrid would beat them. Atletico Madrid would beat them. At some point, someone's going to have to put their hand up and criticize Oli. And they're going to have to point to all of these different issues. The failure to deal with the Pogba situation. The poor mismanagement of um, Donny van der Beek. The lack of a tactical approach. The lack of a tactical structure. The lack of a defined playing style. And he bleats on about you know the Manchester United way and this and that. I never saw Alex Ferguson play... Paul Scholes on the left wing. That's not the Manchester United way. It's not the United way at all. Ferguson's way of playing was really, really simple. He took a base 4-4-2 and just made his team perfect at it. Five and five. Five defensive players, five attacking players. Always. The, the fullbacks would push on, but if they overlap the wingers, the wingers drop back. 
You never saw United overcommit unless they were chasing a game. Ever. You always saw them with a very strong defensive base. And the reason United could come to any ground in the country and defend from the halfway line is because they never overcommitted. They never got too many men beyond the ball. They always kept ideally five, sometimes four, but ideally five guys behind the ball to deal with any kind of turnover, any kind of transitional defense. They would foul religiously, really cleverly, and get away with it. But they controlled space. Everybody knew what their role was. Every pairing had a had a developed partnership. Centre-back, left-centre-back, left-back, right-centre-back, right-back, right-back, right-midfield, left-back, left-midfield, two central midfielders. The central midfielders and the centre-backs were always in tune. And the two strikers, always in tune. United had partnerships all over the pitch. You don't see that at United anymore. You don't see any kind of tactical intelligence. You don't see a guy make a run and then his mate make a counter run to cover for him. When Aaron Wan-Bissaka makes a run forward, you don't see Mason Greenwood go, right, I better drop five yards here. A, to give him an out ball. B, to cover if we get countered on. When Gary Neville overlapped David Beckham, David Beckham dropped back 10 yards. A is an outball, B in case anyone countered. Ryan Giggs did the same thing for Dennis Irwin and then for Patrice Evra. United football wasn't some complex masterpiece. It was a really simplified game that United perfected. It helped that they always had the best players. Of course it did. But every player was drilled in his role and understanding the roles of others, understanding the roles of those in direct contact with him. So if as the left back, your left side centre back and your your left winger, you know exactly what their roles are. They know what your role is. So you can cover for each other. You know when and where to do your job. They were brilliantly drilled. This United team don't look like they're drilled at all. Defensively, they're all over the place. Midfield doesn't function. The attack makes it up as it goes along. They rely on individual brilliance, and it it doesn't work. It doesn't work in this league, not against the best teams. I'm going to take a quick break here. And uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk about Claudio Ranieri and his appointment as the new manager of Watford Football Club, because I still can't make sense of it. So I'll see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, Claudio Ranieri is in at Watford. Cisco Munez is out, despite having done, I would suggest, a really good job in his time at the club. Claudio will be the 14th manager to work under the Pozo family in nine years. That doesn't include 
caretaker managers. That is that is a genuinely amazing number for an English club. Now, I said this yesterday in in your Portugal's, your Spain's, your at least that's that's very normal. You know, managers don't tend to last long. In England, they do. But Watford take a very different approach. They've brought in Carlo, who he's obviously been around. He's 35 years as a manager. He's been at over 20 different clubs. He's never won any real silverware other than the Premier League when he won it at Leicester. Which is a little bit of a red flag for me. If you haven't won, if you've been at top clubs, and he has been at top clubs, Napoli, Fiorentina, Valencia, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Juve, Roma, Inter Milan, Monaco, he's been at top clubs. Not always at top times, admittedly, but he's been at top clubs. And the only thing you won was at Leicester. Now, look, it was the Premier League. Fair play, an amazing achievement, but does anyone really look at that Leicester team and, and think drop them into this Premier League, they'd win it? Drop them into any other Premier League season, would they win it? I don't think they would. That season was a complete one-off. Chelsea self-destructed. Liverpool were in self-destruction mode. Then Klopp comes in and takes over. From Rodgers and focuses on the Cups. City were poor. It was really them and Spurs for most of the season. And then Spurs fell off. Arsenal ended up second. But Arsenal were never in the title race that year. It was a great achievement, but it's not something that looks like it's in any way transferable to any other situation. And since leaving there, it's not like Claudio has done a stellar job anywhere. You know, he has been sacked repeatedly. He got sacked by Leicester mere months after winning that title. Because the players had just had enough of him. He took over a mess. They had this great story. It was absolutely phenomenal. Credit to them. But... The following season, it was just a mess. They lost six of their first 12 games in the second in their second season under Claudio, the 16-17 season. They were only two points above the relegation zone after 12 games. And I know they'd lost Angolo Kante, but they spent quite a bit of money trying to replace him. He got sacked in the February. Think about that. He won the league with Leicester and got sacked the following February. You could see it happen at a Chelsea. They've done this. They've, they've won titles in Champions Leagues and sacked the manager a few months later. That's just what they do. But they do it knowing they're going to get another top manager in. Leicester appointed Craig Shakespeare. I felt it was the wrong decision at the time, but it just goes to show how badly things went for him. He went to Nantes, had one season there, and they let him go. He stayed out of the game for a few months, rocked up at Fulham, was a disaster, won three of 17 games, 
sacked after four months in charge. Went to Roma just to see out the end of the season after Di Francesco got sacked. Actually, him. There's the fall from grace. April 2018, he's managing a Champions League semi-final against Liverpool. We're now 30 months later. He has been sacked four times. Roma sacked him. Sampdoria sacked him. Cagliari sacked him. And Hellas Verona sacked him. And at two of those clubs, he didn't even last 10 games. I think Cagliari, he lasted eight. And Hellas Verona, like four. Maybe it's an Italian manager thing. But Claudio took over from him anyway. Wasn't retained at the end of the season. Went to Sampdoria. Hilariously, replacing Di Francesco. No, no, no. Di Francesco replaced him. Regardless. He got sacked after one season there. He's been out of the game now for over a year, and he rocks up here at, at Watford. And he likes to play a 4-4-2, which not many managers do anymore. And when you look at that Watford team, you don't really see the players for a 4-4-2. Or at least I don't. Now, he likes to have one pacey player one side and one creative player the other side. That's kind of been his go-to. Ishmael Asar can be that pacey player. The, the Mark Albrighton of the team, if you will. The creative player on the other side, though, I mean, maybe Chucho Hernandez? Maybe he's the option there? I don't really see any other choices. Now, you could play Tufan there, but it's not an ideal fit for him. 4-4-2 isn't an ideal fit, fit for him anyway. Your two central midfielders, you assume he'll go with Musa Sissoko and Yurish Kuka, who've been the two there so far this season in the central midfield. In a 4-2-3-1, those two make sense. In a 4-4-2, less so, because in a 4-4-2, you really do need one of your midfielders to be, have a little bit of creativity about them. And those two don't. It's kind of why they play two fan. Um, Peter Tebow's a holding midfielder. He's out for a couple of months, but he could fit in there next to Musa Soko either. But again, it's not an ideal pairing. There's not an ideal pairing there. Chucho's really talented, but he's not massively creative. As for a front two... I mean, Joe Pedro's been injured a lot of the season. I know he's back now, but maybe him and Emmanuel Dennis up front. Is Ashley Fletcher an option? He's not He's not great. There's no really inspiring names standing out. And then defensively, you can go in Gakia and Rose, your fullbacks, fine. But those centre-back options, oh, oh they're ugly. They're ugly centre-back options. I don't know that they're well-suited to a 4-4-2, which is generally what Carlo wants to go to. And if he can't play his way, 
What was the point in getting him in? It's not like he's got a tremendous track record. He can't live off that Premier League forever. He can get jobs off it, but he can't live off it. Can't survive off it. Other managers aren't turning up and saying, oh, you won a title five years ago? Well, here's three points. I don't really understand the appointment at all, if I'm honest. And it seems like, well, no, it doesn't seem like. They definitely had him lined up before they sacked Cisco. Cisco didn't see it coming. According to himself, he didn't see it coming. Didn't think it was going to happen. The swiftness which with, with, with which Carlo was appointed tells us that he was approached before Cisco was sacked. And I never really like to see managers going behind the back of another manager and interviewing for his job or having talks about his job before he's aware of the circumstance. I mean, that blackens Car- uh, Ranieri for me as well. That blackens his name. Put a stain on him with that. You can be better. You can wait. It's international break coming up. You could have approached him on the Sunday. Sack him Saturday night, approach him Sunday. He was he was going to take the job. He's got nothing else going on. You'd have him signed and in the door by Wednesday at the latest. Bad form from him, bad form from the club, bad appointment by the club in my view. And I think Watford are about to go through a bad run. I really do. I don't think they've got good enough players. The more I dig into the squad, the more I dislike it. There's some real talent there. Real talent in the likes of Sar, João Pedro. But there's just too many players that aren't up to the task. There's loads of hard workers. There'll be no end of graft. But Carlo's not really a relegation battling kind of manager either. Carlo's not that guy. Carlo's the type of fella you want if you want to establish yourself in mid-table. That's what Carlo is. And I don't think this Watford team is good enough to be mid-table. Doesn't start easy for them either. They have Liverpool in their next game. And that will not be a fun afternoon. Then they go to Everton, who are in great form. They've got the proverbial six-pointer against Southampton. They go to Arsenal. They welcome United. They go to Leicester. They welcome Chelsea. (laughs) Then they get City. Then they get Brentford. That brings us through to the 11th of December. And if you can pick out two wins from that run, God bless you. Because I I look at that and I think you you might beat Southampton. Aside from that, I don't even see many, many potential draws. I don't see many potential draws. Maybe two. Five points from three, six, nine games. Carlo could be out the door again. Carlo Claudio could be out the door again before the transfer window even opens. Um, Time to do the good, the bad and the ugly from this past Premier League weekend. So obviously... We'll start with the good. And for me, there's a couple of couple of ones here. Everton, going to Old Trafford, getting a draw and almost winning the game without your two best attackers 
is an outstanding achievement. To go there and play with that level of bravery, that level of commitment was really, really impressive and something that's been lacking with Everton for a number of years. There's always been an inferiority complex with this Everton club, with the squad, with these players, where they go into certain games almost feeling like they're lucky to be there. That's just no way to approach it. Everton are a proper big club. Everton are one of the seven to ten kind of range biggest clubs in England. You've got the big six. Then you've got Everton, Villa, Newcastle, and Leeds. And I would say they're the 10 biggest clubs in England. You might disagree, but I don't think you can disagree that Everton are in that range. And for them to just always roll over as if they want the belly tickled by these bigger clubs is just is disappointing. So to see them go there under Rafa, missing Calvert-Lewin, missing Richarlison, and perform like that is is really, really important, really, really good to see. Raul Jimenez. Looking like Raul Jimenez. Now, he's obviously scored that excellent goal against Southampton and looked more like himself. In this game, he was it was the full Raul Jimenez experience. Dropping deep, picking the ball up, bouncing off defenders, laying the ball off, powering into space, feeding runners either side, created both goals. Great to see him back playing at something very, very close to his best level after what a horrific injury he suffered last year. Leeds getting their first win in the season is also among the good. It could have been a lot more comprehensive. It wasn't against a particularly good team in this Watford team. And maybe they had a bit of good fortune as well at times, but all things considered, it's good to see Leeds getting a win. The bad, I would put, refereeing decisions in. Um, So Dale Johnson did his usual Monday morning recap of the the VAR incidents, the refereeing decisions that had to be made. And there's a couple that I missed yesterday because there's just so many each week. Um, So he starts off with Timo Werner's own goal. I'm sorry, Timo Werner's disallowed goal. And in Dale's view, based on what we've seen before and the general guidelines, the goal should have stood because the phase of play should have been reset after the foul by Aspilicueta. The initial cross, the ball is cleared and it gets reset. That should have basically removed going back for the Aspilicueta tackle. There is some 17 seconds between the challenge and when the goal goes in. There's more than one opportunity for a Southampton player to clear the ball. Uh, the Ward-Prowse one is obviously a no-brainer. Um, he says, on to Leeds versus Watford, and frankly, poor decisions from Simon Hooper and Lee Mason. Lee Mason making poor decisions is par for the course. Um, Leeds should have had a penalty for Truce de Kong's challenge on Daniel James, uh, which is a very fair point, and that probably should have been a red card as well because there was no intention to play the ball. Uh, there was also, obviously, the... Watford disallowed goal. 
Cabaselli and Liam Cooper are wrestling. Now, it's hard to... Those always go in the favour of the defender. They always do. So, it is what it is. Um, Burnley versus Norwich. I don't know if you've seen this, but there is a... Tim Krul comes for the ball, misses a punch, and basically punches Matthias Vidra right in the face um, and puts him on his backside. It probably should have been a penalty Based on previous incidents of the same thing, it probably should have been a penalty. And then the Liverpool City game, I mean, James Milner should have been sent off twice. He should have been sent off in the first half for the professional foul on Phil Foden, just outside the box. He should have been sent off for a second jello for his challenge on Bernardo Silva. Um, Neither of them are in any way good. Both poor decisions, both should be reviewable. Um. Yeah, West Ham, Brentford. It, it does appear that Jared Bowen's goal should have been dis- disallowed because Mikel Antonio was offside and was basically preventing David Rea from seeing the ball. Um. So yeah, the bad is is VAR and the referees again. Uh, in terms of the ugly, I think there's a couple of contenders here. Number one, I'll go with the sacking of Cisco. I think it's ugly. I think the replacement is ugly as well. Uh, Burnley nil, Norwich nil, both of them remaining without a win. That's pretty ugly at this point of the season as well. Uh, James Milner's performance and his captain, uh, Brian, those two, really, really ugly performances. So that is the good, the bad, and the ugly from this week. What we will do is we'll see where Gareth Crooks went wrong this week and then we'll wrap up with the gossip. Uh, So Gareth Crooks' team of the week for this week. He has gone David Rea in goal. Don't really have a huge problem with that one, to be fair. I think think Alison Becker is worth strong consideration. He did concede two, admittedly. He made a couple of world-class saves. Um, I, I think that's fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that one. He went for Aspilicueta, Diego Lorente, and Chalaba. Now, I don't mind him picking Lorente, even though he has just picked him because, because he scored. Because he does make such an improvement to that Leeds defence that it is worth giving him a nod. Chalaba, I I would say he's in because he scored. He had a couple of ropey moments in that game as well, but I don't have a massive problem. Aspilicueta, especially as a centre-back, considering he didn't play as a centre-back in the game, is a ridiculous ridiculous inclusion. There's just no... VAR should really mind its own business. Clear and obvious mistakes, we were told. You're just a moron. An absolute moron. Aspilicueta should not have been in that game. In this team, rather. I would say, take a look at the performance of Christian Romero for Spurs over the weekend and put him in your team. Because he was he was outstanding for, um, for Spurs. A little bit fortunate not to get a red card, I thought, but generally outstanding. 
Um, Charlotte, but again, I, I don't mind. I don't mind him being in the team. Um, in midfield, then, he's gone for four across the middle. He went for Andros Townsend because he scored. Heusberg because he scored. Son, I, I don't mind at all. And and Bernardo Silva. I don't think Heusberg was better than Ollie Skip in the game. I thought Ollie Skip had a better game than him. Um at the weekend. Andros Townsend played well. Damari Gray was better. But Dakure should be in this. Dakure's performance for Everton at Old Trafford was absolutely outstanding. One of the best performances you'll see all season from a midfielder in the Premier League. So he should be in there. I don't really mind over which. I'd say over Andros and Ollie Skip over Heusberg, but I'm not sure Spurs deserve two of the four midfield spots. I think if we take a look at the games of the weekend, I think you can clearly see there's more deserving candidates than Heusberg or Ollie Skip if we're going to go with Son. I would say, for example, Ruben Neves played really well. Ruben Neves played really well for Wolves. Dakure, like I mentioned, I think Gallagher had a decent game for Palace, wasn't great. But I thought Tielemans played well. I thought Declan Rice had another good game, as he generally tends to do these days. But yeah, I would have Neves and Dakure in there, uh, along with Silva and Son. Not a great weekend for mid midfielders by and large but Dakure absolutely has to be the first one in uh, up front he went Salah, he went Huang and he went Foden, no problem with Salah and Foden Huang did get two goals but Jimenez was better in that game alone so I would say Jimenez so n- not the worst team of the week from Gareth Crooks uh, we've certainly seen much worse from the man he is generally, well, he's dreadful. He, he's dreadful. He doesn't watch games. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't pick Jordan Henderson after his 4 out of 10, considering he picked him last week after a 4 out of 10. Um, yeah, and called him an outstanding professional. But, um, no, I, I, I think Gart has, has almost put together a decent team there. Uh, we'll finish up with the gossip then. Barcelona are considering a move for Manchester City's English forward Raheem Sterling. They have no money. They're considering nothing of the sort. The Catalan giants also remain in negotiations with Xavi about taking over from Ronald Koeman. I think he'd be mad to do it. I really do. I think Barca need to accept it for the next three or four years. They can't afford to compete for the title. They've got to secure fourth place get themselves through the group stage of the Champions League, and I don't care how they do it. I don't care if the football is the ugliest thing you've ever seen. Get yourself into the knockout stage and get that money each year. Do not go and spend big money any summer. Set yourself a transfer budget of about 35 to 40 million. Try and get two decent players in. Hire the scouts from Salzburg or Leipzig. Sign the lads they are signing. Develop them. Once you get your debt gone, all your big contracts will also be expired. 
and you'll have a clean slate. You'll have a young squad full of dynamic players that you can then sell and bring in money, and then you can go and buy your stars. You'll have a couple of them already, the likes of Pedri, the likes of Ansu Fati. Gavi looks very promising. You'll still have what would then be a 27-year-old Frankie de Jong, I think, that you can kind of build your team around. You'll have uh, Ronald Arreo. You'll have Oscar Mingueza. I think Ter Stegen will only be 32, 33 by then. More than, more than a couple of years left than him. So Gino Dest will only be mid-20s. These are players you can build off. Stop looking to be Barcelona and start recognising where you are. And for Xavi, wait until they've done all of that, then take the job. They will always want you. Everton tried to sign Donny van de Beek on loan from Manchester United in the summer and are interested in bringing him to Goodison Park in January. It would make sense. I'd like to see Donny get a proper a proper go in the Premier League. United are considering Frank Kessie as a replacement for Paul Pogba. Kessie, like Pogba, is out of contract next summer, can be approached in January, and Kessie would improve them. You put Frank Kessie in midfield with... I mean, Bentoncourt is ideal. Or Beneser. Beneser. Not Bentoncourt. Beneser of Milan is the ideal partner for him. Those two together have been excellent. If you could buy him, buy him. If you, if not, maybe a Ruben Neves, somebody who'll sit deep, dictate play, great range of passing. Let Kessie be a bit more of a roamer, go and win the ball aggressively, transition. Frank Kessie would make sense. And Frank Kessie would be a better fit than Paul Pogba. He's not a better player than Pogba, but he is a better fit for United. Um. Inter Milan are ready to revive their interest in Chelsea wing-back Marcus Alonso. Doubt it. Uh, Manchester City are winning the race to sign Pau Torres. Pau Torres has said he wants to stay in Spain, so unless Real Madrid decide they don't want him, uh, I don't think anyone else is winning that race. Tottenham can sack Nuno if they don't win, finish top six. Yeah, we said that yesterday. Casper um, Kozlowski, who's been tracked by... Liverpool, AC Milan, and RB Leipzig says he's not impressed by big names. Fair play. Everton coach Duncan Ferguson went to look at Stoke and Australia centre-back Harry Souter. It's always funny to me he plays for Australia, given he's Scottish, but his mother, I think, is, is an Aussie. Um, his brother's a good defender as well, plays for Hearts. Um, as Everton planned for the possible departure of Yerry Mina. Who do they think is going to buy him? Yerry Mina has not impressed since joining. He's either been injured or inconsistent. He's hugely talented, but he hasn't been great. Monaco have valued Arlene Chimeni, a, a transfer target for Juventus and Chelsea at £34 million. He is the one, as I, I talked about earlier, he is the one United should target. You know, like, Locatelli, he moved this summer as well for a two-year loan and £35 million. If United had thrown down £40 million, I think they'd have got Locatelli. 30 million would have got them Chimeni in the summer. And those two would have cost the same as Sancho. I would bet their combined wages would be less than Sancho. They would improve the team massively. And now you'd have a real midfield pairing. 
for the first time in oh I don't know 10 years close enough close enough Juventus are finalising a deal to extend Paolo Dybala's contract about time and AC Milan are ready to start negotiations to extend the contract of Stefano Pioli whose current deal runs out at the end of the season what a turnaround for him considering they were so close to sacking him to bring in Carlo Ancelotti no not Carlo Ancelotti Ralph Raniak only a year and a half ago and now they want to extend him fair play that is us for today then so I will talk to you all tomorrow a little bit rambly today I may not have flowed all that well I hope it did if not apologies I'm using a different setup and I'm a bit distracted by it because none of it works properly but um, normality will resume on Thursday we'll get through tomorrow I will see you all then take care of yourselves bye bye Podcast Network.